Hello and welcome to Encounter Church. We're so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. My name is Daniel. I serve on the speaking team here at Encounter. And as always, it is a blessing and a privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, hey, before we kick off, I just want to give a quick shout out to our upcoming series that's happening next week. It's called God Problems. It's where we get to ask the hard questions because sometimes it seems like God is silent and God doesn't show up and God is late in our lives. But looking back, he's never failed us and he never will. So we get to dive more deeper into that. We're super excited about it. Hope you can join us. That's happening next week. But this week, we're going to be talking about detours, specifically unexpected detours, detours that happen in our lives that we didn't want to happen, detours that bring us to dark and cold and miserable places in our lives, detours that happen because it isn't necessarily our fault and we now get to ask why this is happening to us and who's to blame. But before we jump into that, I just want to set up the scene of what's happening here because we're going to be following the Apostle Paul in his journey to Rome. I just want to set up the scene of what's going on. Apostle Paul, uh, he's kind of a popular guy in the Bible. God shows up to him. Jesus shows up and he says, you know what, Paul, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to bring the word of God to the biggest nation like in the world at the time. And they're going to know about me, and, and everything's going to change because of the message that you delivered to Rome. So, you know, if God shows up and tells you to do something like that, obviously Paul's going to do it. So now he's hanging out in Jerusalem telling people about Jesus and this mob forms because sometimes people don't like it when you talk about Jesus. People don't like it when you prof profess your faith. So this mob forms, and they, they, like, incite a riot. And now he's arrested and brought to trial. But given that he's a Roman citizen, he demands that he has a trial before Caesar, which is convenient because he was headed there anyways. Probably not the way that he wanted to go there, but nonetheless, now he's on his way to Rome. I brought a map with me here. So down there in the bottom right here, we have Jerusalem. He makes his way up the coast. They, they send an escort down to pick him up, actually, and they hug this coastline. They hug this coastline. It would have been faster if they just took that bottom route. But because of bad weather, they hug that coastline and cut down into that tiny little island in Crete. And now they're at at Haven's Landing. Okay, Haven's Landing is this tiny little port. It's October, so right around the time that we're in right now, so maybe we're traveling with Paul. And they're there. It's, it's getting cold. It's getting windy. It's getting dangerous to travel, so they need to, like, bunker down for the winter for three, four months. But they're in this tiny little port, and this tiny little port isn't a lot of fun. There isn't a lot of fun things to do there. So the captain is like, hey, guys, I know of this great place. It's called Phoenix. It's 40 miles from here to the west. If we just can get there, then we're going to have a lot better time during the winter. And Paul kind of pulls him aside, and he's all like, look, buddy, I've traveled a lot, and I'm here to tell you that that's a bad idea. They call this place Hurricane Alley for a reason. If we go out right there right now, we're, the ship is going to cascade. We're going to crash. We're going to lose a lot of people. It's not going to end well for us. Okay, I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the message. Paul tells him that this is a bad idea, okay? So the captain, the wise thing, the prudent thing to do would be to listen to him, but the calamari at Phoenix is too good to give up. So now they're on their way to Phoenix, completely ignoring what Paul said, and lo and behold, they get stuck in a storm. They get stuck in a storm, and they're stuck in the storm for two whole weeks. Has anybody been seasick before? I get seasick very easily. I was up in Pictured Rocks kayaking after two hours I was done. They're doing this for two weeks, just bobbing up and down uncontrollably, and they end up 
going across that entire channel. It's not a straight line like that. It's more like twists and turns and big circles. And, and then they end up getting there, and that's where we pick up our story. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 27. We're going to start off at verse 20. The words are also on the screen behind me. If you like our Bibles better, feel free to take them. Otherwise, don't, yeah, the words are there too. Uh, verse 20, it says this. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, a.k.a. they're pretty hangry, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. I want to make two quick points here. Um, it seems Paul is a little salty in this passage. Can we agree? And I think if we like empathize with him, it's like justified saltiness. You know, like he's a little angry. If you had listened to me, we wouldn't be in this mess. If it weren't for you clowns, then we wouldn't have gotten into this shipwreck that we're about to get into right now. And I think the point, the first point that I want to make to you right now is that it's okay if you're a little salty from time to time. It's okay if you let other people know that they've hurt you. See how awkward it is in the room right now? It's because we're in West Michigan where we don't be confrontational. We just, you know, talk trash behind people's back. But I have been living here for about eight years, and I feel like I'm finally onto something. So just hear me out here, okay? I've been, I've been living here, and I've noticed that there is an abnormally large amount of people that are really nice to you. And there is an abnormally large number of people that are bad drivers. And I think I finally found a correlation, okay? I think... The nicer you are to people like in front of their faces, the angrier you are behind the wheel. Because, <laughs> because like as human beings, we experience like anger and frustration. But for some reason in Grand Rapids, it's not acceptable to like tell people that they've wronged you. So we just like kind of like repress that down and just walk around like bless you and bless you and bless you. And until you get behind the wheel and now you're flying down the belt line going 90 miles an hour, just taking out all of that pent up frustration on the people around you. Susan, the nicest lady at church is now a hazard to everybody that's within like a 200 foot radius of her. So please, for the betterment of this community and the safety of this community, just, it's okay. It's okay to just be a little bit salty, but you can't stop there. You can't stop there because Paul doesn't stop there. And this is leading into, this is leading into point number two. Okay. Look what Paul says after that. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost only the ship will be destroyed. There's like 270-something people with him. Not a single person's going to die. Not a single person's going to die. Only the ship will be destroyed. Why do I know this? Last night, an angel of the God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. See, here's the second point, and you can start writing again. We're out of the DJV, the Daniel Jew version, and we're going to get into the text here. Paul doesn't simply just leave them with an explanation of what's going wrong, right? Like, he definitely tells them why things are going bad. Like, if, if he had just listened to me, we wouldn't be here. But he doesn't leave it simply at the explanation. He also has an expectation. Expect God to show up. Expect that there is a higher authority in control here. Do not be afraid in his presence. 
and his mercy, for he has spared us and he will guide us home. See, I think oftentimes we are so busy caught up in the explanation that we miss the expectation. And I'm, I'm going to preach to you guys a little bit here. I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but, you know, I feel like a lot of us have been to some dark places in our lives. And if you haven't, then please fill the rest of us in on the secret because I can tell you firsthand that it, life could be going, you know, hunky-dory until one second you're in a storm and you're being shaken around and you have no idea what's going on and you're just hanging on for dear life. And in those moments, I've, I've realized, and, and from my experience, I feel like a lot of people like to give explanations for why things are happening the way things are happening. If you hadn't done this, then it probably would have turned out better for you. But now that you're in this situation, maybe you should do this and this and that. A lot of explaining going on. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, I've never found that to be that helpful. Um, I feel like, you know, you've, I, it's my life, so I've thought about it a lot more probably than you have. But what I do find helpful in those situations is an expectation that it's going to be okay and that God's in control and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I found, my storm, uh, found myself hit by a little storm. Nothing, nothing serious, but during the time, it wasn't that fun. And it, it kind of like built up to this place where I really got frustrated and angry. And it was one night I was hanging out with some of my housemates and all of that anger just kind of like got unleashed on like my poor housemate that didn't deserve any of it, right? Looking back, I was a complete jerk and he had every right to smack me upside the head, but he, uh, he pulled me aside later that night and he was all like, hey man, I know you're going through a hard time right now. Um, I can tell you firsthand, I know exactly what it's like because I've been there, I've done that. It's hard and it's difficult and you probably can't fix this on, on your own or in a short time, but I just want to let you know that I'm here for you whenever you need me because I know your pain and I know that God knows your pain too. Just like Dirk said last week, you know, your relationship with God isn't a straight shot down I-80. It's a twisting, winding curve up M22. And it seems like you're coming around one of those bends right now and it's hard, but I'm here for you and I know God's there for you too. And then he gave me a big hug and then he prayed for me. And I, I stood in his room. It was dark, cold, late at night, crying like a little baby because... <laughs> For the first time in my life, it felt like somebody wasn't simply just explaining my problems away. They, they, they had an expectation. They gave me an expectation and empathy that, that God's in control and that he's in the storm with me. I feel like if, if you're in a storm like that, then you can't do it by yourself. That's why we have a prayer table set up in the back. If you feel like you just need somebody to empathize with you and to pray with you over some of the storms that are hitting your life, feel free to utilize that. If you don't have a support network around you that can help you, like my housemates, um, feel free to email me, daniel at encounterchurch.org. I can't promise to fix, fix your problems, but I also know that a burden shared is a burden divided. And, you know, we can't do this alone. So... I guess that's the second point. It's a lot more important than point number one um, is that sometimes when people are in a storm, they don't need an explanation. They need an expectation that God will see them through this. Nevertheless, Paul is sailing down the Adriatic Sea and he crashes up against some rocks and ends up shipwrecked on some island. And that's where the story picks up in Acts 22. It's almost like we're reading his diary here. So I kind of like it. But... Check it out. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built us a fire 
and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So here's a, here's a million dollar question for you. I thought that God showed up to Paul and told him that he was headed to Rome. So if he has such an important mission to go to the, the capital nation powerhouse and make big changes there and bring God's word there and have lasting change, then what on earth is he doing on a tiny island called Malta? How many of us have even heard of Malta? Okay, there's like four people. Okay, that's my point. Most of us don't even know where this is. I didn't even know where this was until I started doing research for this, for this message. I, look at the map. There's the big star where Paul is headed, Rome. And then 600 miles south is Malta. What on earth is he doing there? See, this is what blows my mind. And here's the second question, okay? And perhaps more importantly to us today is how many of us have been to Malta? I'm not, I'm not talking about like the actual physical location, Malta. I'm talking about you're like headed somewhere in life and then, you, and then all of a sudden you find yourself not over there, but you find yourself over here, okay? That's Malta. Malta is you, you graduate from college and you think you're gonna have a great job and you're gonna be sipping on fancy cocktails with your cool hip work friends on the weekend, but no, in reality, you're in your mom's basement watching reruns of The Office. That's Malta, okay? Malta... Malta is going to like your seventh wedding of the summer and like getting like bitter and angry because everybody found the love of their life and you're still single, okay? That's Malta. Really? You found the love of your life and I'm supposed to buy you a toaster? How about you buy me a toaster? <laughs> right? That's Malta, okay? Parents, let me speak, for you for, speak to you for a second. I've sent my poor mom to Malta more times than I care to admit. <laughs> poor woman, especially during parent-teacher conference time, okay? You show up to parent-teacher conference and you find out that your little, little sunshine isn't the angel that you thought he or she was gonna be. You're in Malta. Malta's that place where you thought your mom was gonna be around for 20 more years. She might not be around in six months. Malta's that place of depression, anxiety, fear, doubt, hopelessness, anger. Has anybody been to Malta? I think we can all safely say that we all know what Malta is like from time to time. And Paul in the story is literally at the physical location, Malta, going through one of the hardest times of his life. He's probably thinking to himself, it can't get much worse than this, right? I mean, I, I come, at least we found dry land and there's some people that are nice to us. He probably doesn't realize that the people were being nice to him for the same reason that the entire nation of Nineveh listened to Jonah, namely that they had survived a nautical disaster during a time when people believed that gods lived in the ocean. So if, if the gods spared Paul and he was able to walk away from a tragedy like that, then they must be on his side. So we're going to be nice to him until this happens. Check this out. It says, Paul, being the nice guy that he is, gathered a pile of brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. The goddess justice has not allowed him to live. The dude is standing right there. Can you not pronounce him dead? Are you serious? Paul's listening to all of this, and he's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, what do you do if you're Paul, Right? Now you're bit by a venomous snake. WebMD, and I quote, says, viper bites can be fatal 
and emergency medical care should be obtained as soon as possible. Now, this is, this is tricky for Paul because he can't drive over to Spectrum Health. He's stuck on a random island, right, with a bunch of people that now all of a sudden think he's a murderer. He was a really nice guy before, but now he's a murderer. What are you supposed to do if you're Paul? Well, let's find out. Verse 5, it says, But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds. Oh, isn't that convenient? And said he was a god. Isn't it funny how quick people change their minds like that? You know, I think Paul approached a lot of his problems the same way he approached that snake. I think he became a prisoner because he was trying to tell people about Jesus and he's like, shake it off. I think he was put into a boat with a bunch of incompetent people that didn't know what they were doing, shake it off. Oh, we're heading into a hurricane, shake it off. We're in a storm for two entire weeks, just shake it off. Now we're on an island, shake it off. Bunch of fake people, shake it off. There's a snake on my hand, definitely shake that off into the fire. And y'all think I was going to die, but let me tell you something. I'm not going to die. You know why I'm not going to die? It's nothing because of I, what I did, but I know I'm not going to die because God told me that I'm going to end up in Rome, which means Malta isn't the final destination. I can't die here, so y'all got to move because I got to get a move on to go to Rome. Rome is the final destination for me. Malta is not the final destination for me. The past two weeks have been really hard. I don't know what I'm doing here, but what I know is that God's not finished with me. And if God's not finished with me, then I have no intention of dying here, so y'all got to move. Anybody feel the Holy Spirit telling them right now that you might be at Malta, but Malta is not your final destination? Malta is not your final destination. Turn to a neighbor and tell them that. Malta is not your final destination. Malta is not the final destination because you have no business dying there, because God has a greater plan for you, because whatever darkness and whatever evilness or whatever, whatever garbage you're going through right now, it is not the final destination. Malta is not the final destination. Rome is the final destination for Paul. So he has to keep moving. I'm not even going to waste my breath on these flippity-floppity people. First, first he's a murderer. Now he's a god. You know, these people that just show up when things are going well, they don't matter, so why waste your breath on them, right? But what I do want to focus on is the story that comes next because up until this point, I think Paul and perhaps the rest of us thought that he was on a detour that there was a series of bad decisions that were made that led him to this detour, which ended in devastation and destruction. But we see that God had a completely different plan. Look what it says. It says in verse 7 that there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came, and they too were cured. See, turns out that this wasn't a detour all along. It, it seemed like a detour. It looked like a detour. It looked like a bunch of people made bad decisions that led to a detour that ended in devastation, but what ended up happening was that there was divine grace in this all along. See, the people in Malta needed to hear about Jesus as well. They needed to experience God's love and the resurrecting power that he has. 
So, so God sends Paul. I mean, he could have probably done a better job communicating what was happening, but God sends Paul. And now Paul is healing these people on this island. Do you think he had an impact? The fact that they still call the islands that he crashed into, the islands of St. Paul, lead me to believe that he did. Or that, or that God did. Because now looking back and thinking about it, I don't think Paul would have ever thought about going to Malta in the first place. See, if it was up to Paul, he would have just got on the ship and then stayed like a smart sailor that he is. And then when the weather got better, he would have just sailed straight up to Rome. He would have just gotten on the donkey if it wasn't for the whole prison thing and probably just rode his way up to Rome. But God had a greater plan. He had a divine plan and said, look, you're going through a hard and difficult time right now, but I have a plan for you. You got to heal these people at Malta because they need to know me as who I am, the resurrected king. Isn't it, isn't it funny how you look back on certain events in your life and you realize that, yeah, you were in Malta, but it wasn't necessarily a detour that God had a plan for it all along and that he's using you now to heal those that have been in that place. And he's using you and growing you in those seasons of your life where you feel like you're at Malta and you feel like things aren't going to get much better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little real with you guys here. I, I have this like, tendency to like, share stuff that I never really tell anybody. So keep this between you and me, okay? Um, this is a, just a journal entry uh, about two years back, uh, December 4th, 2016 to be exact. And um, it's hilariously... Uh, hilariously dramatic now that I look back and, and read it, but it was how I was genu uh, genuinely feeling at the time. So it starts off like this. To me, I was such a punk back then. To me, I am writing this right now so that if slash when things get better, you'll remember the expletive you went through to get to a place and be able to cherish every good moment. Right now, I am living a life where I don't care about my responsibilities as an aspiring pastor. I am negating my health, my education, my relationships with other people. And I'm sad, and I feel helpless. I try to make my friends laugh. I use it as a mask to hide the darkness that is within me. And I don't want, I don't want them to be sad. Outside of them, I am apathetic towards almost every other person I encounter. Another name to memorize, another story I have to pretend to care about. But yet, I am lonely. I resent certain people in my life because I'm not strong enough to admit that the problems I'm facing right now are the results of my actions in the past. I quit drinking every night. I guess that's a step in the right direction, but it just makes falling asleep a lot harder. There's a bottle of Percocet I've been keeping since my ankle surgery. I thought about taking one, but read somewhere that many heroin users get started with abusing prescription pain meds. I should probably flush them down the toilet. I guess antidepressants would be the more appropriate choice, but I feel like that would be the final nail in the coffin, the final battle that is lost where I admit defeat to all of this. I'm coming to realize that it's not up to my friends to help me through this. It's up to me to help myself before I ask others to join in, but I don't think I can do it by myself. I miss home, not where I sleep at night, but home. The expletive thing about depression is that you still have the desire to accomplish something. I wanna get back into running shape. I wanna graduate seminary in four years. I wanna find somebody. I wanna climb El Capitan again. I never wanted to come back to this place. I never wanted to come back to this place. 
That was uh, two years ago, but there's a, there's a part of me that feels like there might be people that can have this be their journal entry today, that this is their reality now, that they thought it was gonna be a pit stop at Malta, but it just lingered on for, for seasons, and now you don't know when things are gonna end, but, but if there's one thing that I can tell you, I just wanna let you know that, that Malta is never supposed to be the final destination for your life. See, this is why I think the gospel message is so powerful, okay? The gospel message isn't the good news. The gospel message is the best possible news because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we too can find hope once again that whatever Malta that we're in, that that isn't our final destination. That when we listen to what Jesus says and live a life that is modeled after him, that he put his money where his mouth is and he didn't simply say, live like me, he came down and demonstrated it and that he died on the cross for us. There's a part of me that believes that Jesus went to Malta for, for a hot second there as well. But just like Paul, Malta wasn't the final destination for Jesus. And, Ma, and because of the resurrected King, we know that Malta isn't the final destination for your life either. And just as Jesus brought Paul out of Malta and took him to Rome, through the resurrecting power, I believe that he is looking to bring you home as well. Isn't it funny how you look back and, and you realize how far you've come and what, what God is doing in your life actively, even when you're in a dark place, even when you're in a dark season, how when you look back, everything's changed and God's actively working in your life for the better. I, I mentioned a couple of things at the end there that I wanted to accomplish because, you know, you could be depressed, but you could still have things that you want to accomplish, right? Um, it's funny because I mentioned that I wanted to climb El Cap again. This is my buddy and I last year. We somehow made it to the top. Uh, not because of anything that I've done, but because the resurrected king is resurrecting me. The real me is what I just read earlier, but that right there, that's God working a miracle in my life and that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. I mentioned that I wanted to get into running shape. I started running Spartan races. This is me and my buddy. You might know him, Joe. He, uh, he runs these races with me and we ran one and another one and another one because the resurrected king is resurrecting me, not by anything that I've done, but by everything that he's done. I mentioned that I wanted to graduate seminary in four years. I sat down with the registrar office last, last month and this is what they gave me. It's a roadmap. You'll be done by May if you follow this because the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Malta was never the final destination. Home is, and the spirit will lead you home. Look, I haven't found anybody yet, so feel free to buy me a toaster, but I'm not even worried about that. I'm not worried about that because the resurrected King is resurrecting me. Friends, may the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ give you peace that there is hope out of Malta. May the power of God come upon you and compel you to do great things in times of hardship. And may the ever-present spirit come upon you and guide you home. Will you stand and pray with me? Father God, we have these moments in our lives where we just simply don't know why things are happening the way they are and, and things might be going well for one second and you find yourself in a storm the next and we don't know why sometimes you bring us to Malta, but looking back, there's always been a plan. Lord God, help us to give us the faith that in the storm, we still look to you, that you're ever guiding present hand 
is going to lead us out of Malta and lead us home, just like you took Paul out of Malta and led him to Rome. Father God, give us that peace and serenity that there is hope once again for us as well. In your name we pray. Amen.